Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Mongols brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. I'm Mike. With me is Justin. We've got lots of questions swirling in the offseason already, and we thought it would be cathartic to get together and talk through some of them. So, Justin, you and I had started a, a, a an interesting conversation on uh, Slack, and uh, at a certain point, I was just like, wait, stop. Like, We need to do this on air because I think this is really <laughs> good stuff. So we'll get to that in a second. First of all, how was, uh, how was your Thanksgiving? Um, yeah, Thanksgiving was good. It was good to like, um, yeah, be with family and stuff. We got together with my family. We got together with Laura Allen's family, both and, uh, both were super fun days. Um, and it was, yeah, it was weird, but kind of fun to have the world cup going on at the same time and be able to sit and watch soccer on black Friday morning and, um, even Thanksgiving morning, whatever, but black Friday morning. And it was, yeah, it was a good holiday. How about yours? Same. Yeah, this was this was the first year that I think in a while that we sort of bounced between families on Thanksgiving Day. So that was fun. Um, like we went to my parents, spent a few hours there, and then we went to my brother-in-law, spent a few hours there. But yeah, the World Cup, I mean, I, I was going to ask you about this. It's interesting because before the World Cup started, I felt like I was like, you know, everything going on in Qatar, like I'm going to take a hard stance. I'm not going to watch this at all. And uh, and and um you know, basically it got to the, the U S England match. And I was like, well, I, I kind of have to watch this. And then I was just hooked. So I was sort of watching everything since then. Um, what, what's your take on the, on the U S you know, obviously they lost to the Netherlands this weekend. Um, but what's your overall take on, on their performance this year? Yeah, yeah, we were talking about it. Uh, like Laurel and I were talking about it over the last couple of days, weeks. Um, I think like losing to the Netherlands was like, uh met expectations right so like you you hope that they always get out of their out of their group um i feel like they had a fairly tough group uh playing you know gareth bale and wales and england and um so you know i think you i think you you hope that they can get out of their group no matter how difficult their group is you hope they can figure out a way out of the group you would just hope at one of these times they could get past the round of 16. But I do think, I mean, I do think, you know, you meet a, you meet a team like the Netherlands. That's kind of what you get for not winning your group where you get mm -hmm. a second place team. Um, but I think, I, I think the U S represented themselves well. Um, giving the late goal to Wales was uh, frustrating in the least. Um, the game against England, I thought was great. Um, the Netherlands game also, I thought they played well, uh, and just couldn't find the touch. Um, but those were the big questions going into the world cup was they needed a striker and they didn't seem to have one. So that kind of played out. So, <laughs> um, I feel like they met expectations. I feel like it's going to be good when a lot of these guys are, I saw the, a tweet with like the ages of the players currently on the team and what they're going to be in four years. Yeah. Um, and so like, you know, you think about a 28 year old Christian Pulisic and a, 24 year old Gia Reyna and a 26 year old Pax, uh, uh, Brendan Aronson, you know, and like these guys are going to be hitting their prime. And a lot of those guys are already playing in the top leagues around the world. Yeah. Um, give them four more years and those top leagues are going to have a ton more experience. You would hope with them playing on teams like Chelsea and Juventus and um, other teams like that, that they're going to get some champions league experience along the way. Uh, and so they'll be back and I think they'll be back better than they are now in four years. So good stuff. We, 
there there was a conversation that we were sort of going back and forth on on Twitter about, especially in the U.S. England game, it felt that Christian Pulisic was the best player on the field, which is kind of ridiculous to say when you look at how stacked England's roster was. But the fact that he's he can't get into the starting 11 for Chelsea is just insane at this point when you look at everybody else on that list. So totally agree. I think what the average age of the U.S. team was 22 years old which was the youngest of any team at the tournament this year. So the fact that, you know, what it's going to be back in the U.S. in four years and these guys are all going to be hitting their prime, like we're set for a really big World Cup. Hopefully, you know, we'll get past that first first knockout round. But I agree. When when we get to the knockout stages um, and you sort of start to make your bracket, I had picked Netherlands to move past us, but that didn't make it any more difficult. I think what's interesting about being a U.S. fan is you always have that hope of like, nah, we could do it. Like we could be playing Argentina or Brazil and we'd be like, there's a chance. And it's like, there's not really a chance, but we're going to say there's a chance. So yeah, I agree. I thought they did really well, all things considered. And I think that the future is bright. They do need to get a nine and figure out how to score. But beyond that, you know, they got four years to figure that out. So yeah. Yeah. I think, I think overall, um, I mean, overall, the World Cup has been fun, you know, and I, I mean, I think there's the whole backdrop of it being in Qatar and um, all of that that maybe puts a, a, a sh- dimmer on it or a shadow on it um, in some ways. But I think even uh, like the stories of both South Korea and Japan getting through mm-hmm. their groups and even Japan winning their group, I think is a fun uh, story. I think, um, you know, if you're... Uh, uh, fan of chaos <laughs> teams mm-hmm. like Germany getting knocked out uh, before they hit the knockout rounds, I think is a fun, you know, it's a fun story. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's been fun for uh, Laura Ellen and I just even uh, the way we've uh, dug into Brighton, Brighton had eight players uh, at the world cup in different teams. So I think, uh, I think, uh, I think Matoma on Japan is the only one still playing. I think everyone else has been knocked out at this point, but, um, just watching those players play has been fun. And, and that has given me reason to go watch uh, Leo Trossard play for Belgium and uh, Moises Caicedo play for Ecuador. And, right. you know, it's given me reason to watch some of the other games that I probably wouldn't have watched anyway if I was just watching the U.S. So uh, I think it's been a fun tournament uh, and it'll be interesting to see how it keeps playing out. Who do you think wins it all? I have three. I I don't think they will win it all. And really, I'm a fan of anybody but Brazil at this point. So um, I think I would be happy if anybody other than Brazil won the tournament. (laughs) Um, I think the three teams that I'm rooting for, I guess, are uh, England, Argentina, and Japan. Um, I would love to see Messi get his World Cup to put a kind of cap on the end of his career. Um, And then I think... uh, it would be nice to see it go home to England at some point, you know? Um, And I think they have a good team this year. And then I love Matoma who plays for Brighton, who plays for Japan. Um, And it'd be fun to see them progress deep into the tournament. But I think that's probably the least likely of the three. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm holding out hope for Messi. You mentioned sort of players that play for your club team at this point. Um, I think officially as of this weekend, Poland are now out. I have to go back and check, but Emmy Martinez, I think, is the only player left from Villa that's still in it, and he's the starting keeper for Argentina. So I'd love okay, to see cool. them win and, you know, get it from Messi as well, just so that 
the stupid argument of Messi can't be the greatest player in the world because he's never won a World Cup is just a joke. But that would just put that argument to rest and and we can move on from there. So I'm holding out for Argentina, but we'll see. Um, so yeah, lots of World Cup stuff. <laughs> we I, I got myself in a little bit of trouble um, this weekend as well. Um, so on Twitter, we've been trying to keep an eye on, we're going to talk about some of the players that are leaving and all of that. And because the team hasn't released any news yet, the hounds we're like in the hounds talk now, um, because the hounds haven't released any news as to who's staying, who's going, we're sort of getting all of our information secondhand. So we're going to talk about Ciceroni here in a second. And we knew that Ciceroni was leaving because Ciceroni put out his own tweet and then Sacramento put out a tweet, welcoming him to the team. So we've just sort of been keeping an eye on what players are doing what. And uh, Ordonez put out a, a tweet where he was, uh, I guess, the University of Pittsburgh had asked him to make a video cheering on Pitt's men's team, which are now in the equivalent of the Final Four for, for college soccer. And in the video, he was wearing a Houston Dynamo shirt. And so we just sort of took that tweet and put it out and was like, oh, man, you know, Ordonez in a, in a Dynamo jersey, like, could this mean anything? And uh and unfortunately, you know, that was the track that we were on and Ordonez took it a completely different way and thought that we as fans of the Hounds would be hurt that he was wearing anything but Hounds gear. So he reached out and apologized profusely. And I was like, dude, it's fine. Like we were just thinking it was something else. He had Pitt take the video down and he recorded a new video. It was like a whole thing just because we were trying to figure out, is he still with the team or not? So, um, so yeah, apologize or, you know, apologies for that, uh, Ordonez. Yes, but that, that that does lead to one other question. At this point, I believe um, you know are, are that uh, sources indicate that those who uh, had their options picked up, it's been finalized whose options will be picked up. It just has not been released yet. So, if you were putting money on one player that you think is absolutely going to be back with this team next year. Who would it be? And I'm I'm gonna preface this by saying I think based on Ortonez's reaction that he's likely to be back next year because he felt so bad about potentially uh, infuriating Hounds fans. Um, so if you could pick somebody other than Ordonez that you think will be back next year, who who do you think it'll be? Yeah, that's a tough question um, because there's a lot of players I think I would like to see back um, right. that I'm not. Sure, we'll be back. Um, I mean, I think one of the safe ones is probably Mertz. I don't think you go and get a guy midseason and then don't bring him back the next season. I think that would be a shock. They also, uh, if you didn't the, come back, the team tweeted out this weekend sort of a happy birthday to the hometown boy. So it'd be harsh if they tweeted that out and then like this week we find out that, oh no, wait, you know, we didn't pick him up. So yeah, yeah. I think the other person I'd be really surprised is, is Jamali Waite. I think mm. you don't have a rookie keeper like that who has a decently good season uh kinds of finds his real form mid-season and then you don't bring him back the next season so i'd be i'd be real shocked if if yeah. weight wasn't back the other thing that we should probably preface this with is that we're actually recording this on sunday night so by the time we release this on monday night the team may have already announced who's staying so this might be old news hopefully not but um yeah a little bit of time traveling there you may know something that we don't um Let's talk a little bit about Ciceroni. So, you know, Ciceroni was the Steel Army Player of the Year last year. Not, not like this most recent season, the season before that. 
Um, we talked about him a ton this season in terms of sort of being clutch in front of goal. You know, your your thoughts now that he's off to Sacramento. Yeah, I mean, I think my original thought on Slack was I'm not sure it's that big of a loss for the team. And I know that sounds strange as like a player that has put up the numbers that he has over the last two seasons. Um, I I think, and, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but I struggle with him finding a spot in Bob's typical formation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the reason I think it's not a huge loss for the Hounds. And I do think that they can find somebody to replace um, the product. Um, as far as Cicerone goes, I don't blame him. I mean, it, he's looking for a path to MLS and, and he's got one now. Um, and so I think it's, it's a, it's a hard thing to, uh, kind of turn that down when you have kind of, uh, that direct line there. I mean, Taylor Washington did the same thing, right? He left yeah. and went to Nashville and Nashville ended up taking him to MLS and now he's an MLS player and gets all kinds of plaudits that way. But, um, so I don't really blame Ciceroni for doing the same thing. I mean, I think he has obviously developed in his career at this point from the first time he was in MLS. Cause I think he's been there before. Um, and so I don't blame him for trying again. Uh, and Sacramento is a good spot for him to find himself. So yeah, I think it's a good it move hurt. for him. It, it hurt a little bit too. When Danny video put out a tweet like, Oh, welcome buddy. It's great to have you here. I'm like, there's two guys like they're, you know, leaving <laughs> Pittsburgh and going to greener pastures. So, um, yeah, agreed. I, I, We'll talk about this a little bit as well, but um, it, it it's interesting. You know, we we sort of alluded to it a little bit in the last episode about do we think that um, from a strategy standpoint that there was a ton of strategy as it relates to offensive output this season. And I think you pointed out that Kenny had like a bajillion crosses and like nobody else did. Like it was just once we got into the final third, there did didn't seem to be a ton of cohesion there. And so interesting that, you know, if you're an, if you're an offensive player and there isn't, you know, a lot of strategy going on in that final third and you don't feel that you can progress, then, you know, yeah, maybe you do go look for greener pastures and, and, and try to get something better. So obviously, you know, best of luck to Russ. Um, I'm trying to remember if, I think we talked to him at one point on the show. I'm almost positive um, a year or two ago. So, no, I mean, overall, seems like a great guy. I love the fans, um, love playing for Pittsburgh. So, you know, nothing but great things to say about him. Best of luck out in Sacramento. G- glad he's not, you know, moving to another team in the East. Although, you know, we might still end up seeing him with some of the crossover games. But, you know, when we did start talking about this on Slack, that was what sort of led to, you know, you saying that eh, maybe it's not a huge loss. And that started talking about formations a little bit. And that's when I sort of put the brakes on it and said, let's do this on the show. So why don't we talk about, you have theories about sort of Bob's best formation. So let's talk about this a little bit. What do you, what do you got? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I mean, I think it's interesting because I think Steve's first comment to my thing was like, no, what he, he does all the kinds of different things. And yeah, he does. I mean, I think, any good coach is going to have several formations that they can play and that they can do. But I think Bob typically comes back to kind of a back five midfield two or three, however you want to kind of label that. And then a front three ish. Um, and it's, it's hard to kind of label it because he plays with the back five and, and they really rely 
on those wing backs to get up the field and to create some offense that way. Um, and so I think it's it's I think it's been pretty consistent over the years as I kind of thought back through the players that have done well in Pittsburgh that have stayed around in Pittsburgh and and so when you look at um, you know when you look at our defense you look at you we usually play with a back three that's pretty consistent there has been times where Bob's come out with a back four but I think you know we play with a back three most of the time I think you know some of those times early on where you had Greenspan, Van Kiesel, and and Roberts or uh, Toby Adewale, you know, that's kind of the most obvious. But I think now you're seeing it with guys like Peters and Wheat and, um, you know, and Ardonez. Um, and you see that kind of play out. And that's typically what he goes with. And then you've got your wingbacks. And it's like Dover and James were kind of the – Jordan Dover and Ryan James were the best at playing those roles. But I think – Danny Rivera has played that role well at different times. I think Nathan Dos Santos was great this past season um, and a guy that I definitely want to see around uh, come next season. I think Alex Dixon has played kind of in that role um, before, although he tends to not defend all that much. Um, and so that's been pretty consistent. And then you have your two midfielders. Obviously, Robbie Mertz, Danny Griffin are kind of the current two. Um, Kenny's played there at different times. Zemanski. Dabo have all played there um, and kind of uh, held down the, the middle of the field in a lot of ways. And then you have Kenny. And I think Kenny's a little bit of a, I don't know what Kenny plays. <laughs> I'm not exactly yeah. sure what Kenny plays. Uh, but I think that leaves us a little bit of hole in the field there without an attacking midfielder in some ways. Uh, and then you generally have two other attackers. I think obviously you've got one that stays central. And I think that's been uh, Dequa, Kelly, Nico Brett. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, Steven Dos Santos has played mm-hmm. that role uh, and generally sits in the middle of the field. And then I think you have the other that tends to drift left as as Kenny drifts right. Uh, you've got your left kind of drifting fielder, and that's been and that's been Cicerone. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm I'm wondering. I think he's a lot stronger when he can stay in the middle of the field, and I think that's what we saw over the first six games of the season was De- when Dequa and Cicerone could get on the run and stay central um, and play quick in transition, goals were coming. And mm-hmm. then Dane Kelly would come on or Dane Kelly would come off and Dequa would come on and it would it just created problems for the defense mm-hmm. overall. Um, and so that's why I'm wondering. I think Russ might be looking for either a way that he can play an out-and-out winger and he can be out on the wing or he can stay central. I do think he's probably a little bit stronger in a two-striker pairing, which is not typically where Bob plays, I don't think. Right. You know, I think it's just an interesting, you know, I think it's an interesting thing that seems to be where he's landed. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, you know, you hearken back to those original six or first six games of the season. I remember, what was it, Detroit? We actually played him as a number 10. Like, we played him behind Dequa. And that was yep. that was very interesting. Um, and it seemed he was starting to figure things out there in a way. And I remember us talking about it. Like if he if we could move him into that ten position, that would give us a completely different look. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, so, go ahead. Kind of my thought with that is like, and and where I kind of am landing with that, or where I kind of sit with that, is I would really like to see Bob go, like, just commit to that formation and mm-hmm. find players that fit that formation. Now, mm-hmm. 
in the modern day USL, you have to be flexible. You have to be able to play a back four at times. You got to be able to play a five at times. You got to be able to shift around, move people around the field. If you're too predictable, nobody knows exactly what you're doing. But I think the key, the key, uh, the key component to me still is I think you need a assist master. And I think it sounds weird that we're saying that when we have Kenny Forbes on our team. But I think you need somebody who can creatively unlock a defense. And that's where I think we've struggled over the years is Kenny gets a lot of his assists from corners, from getting out on the wing and, and driving balls in from set pieces. He gets a lot of assists that way. Not that he can't get them in the run of play, but it seems like he gets a lot of them from set piece type plays. Mm-hmm. And I think I would really like to see the Riverhounds go and get someone like Leo Fernandez at Tampa who can really just like unlock a team that sits back. Those are the, mm-hmm. those are the teams that I feel like we've had problems with in the past. Like I think this year was a little bit different. We had problems with teams who were good this year, but like I think in the past we've had problems with teams who sit back and defend uh, because we just go out to the wing, Kenny cross, go out to the wing, Kenny cross, go yeah. out to the wing, Kenny cross. And I think, and even when Dover and James were here, Kenny didn't have to go out to the wing as much then, but it was like, pass it out wide, they cross it in, Steven Dos Santos heads it in, or or Miko Brett gets on the, on the end of one or whatever. So I just think trying to, at times, play centrally and figure out how we can play centrally uh, to vary the attack, I think, will, will work. And so I really like to see him just commit to that. And figure out, okay, what wing backs can I go out and get that will run up and down the wing all night long uh, and help get balls into the box? What, you know, central midfielder can I get that will creatively kind of unlock a defense in ways? Um, I think that will help the Hounds be more successful. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, in, you know, how often have we talked about the fact that it feels like if you're the opposing team, if you just put 10 guys in the box, uh, not not that basic. But if you just anticipate crosses into the box, then you're fine because that's that's the only way we're going to get at you. But it's interesting. You, you sort of talk about the formation. You talk about the attack. That makes me wonder, what are your thoughts on somebody like Dixon at this point? So considering what we've seen, you know, I've been very vocal about how I think that technically, I think that Dixon might be one of the best players on the team. But as he's being used, especially late in the season, it felt like it, it, it just it was just wasted. Um, either he was off or there was something off with how we were doing. It just wasn't playing out. But given the scenario that we're in, if we get word this week that Dixon has you know, gone off and signed for somebody out West, how would you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is you lose too many players, then you got to replace all of them. Right. You got to figure out how to replace, you know, so much talent on the field. Dixon is another one that I'm concerned about in the sense that I'm not sure he's playing the position he wants to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I would rather him be able to play as an out-and-out winger. Um, and so I, I see him as somebody who could be valuable when we switch to a 4-3-3 at different times or try a different formation against a team because Bob sees something that might help us in that scenario. But those games are so few and far between that I think when you play Dixon as kind of a uh, – you know, wing back who kind of is expected to defend at times and different things like that. If he's getting pinned back by the opposing team where he can't get up the field, his skill is being wasted, you know? And so that was a struggle watching him all all along this year 
and just seeing like, oh, he's he's pinned back. Uh, you know, the other winger is way up the field, and so he's getting you know to the point where he's got to defend more than than get up the field. And that's where I want to see him kind of further up the field. And so I think you can do it if you kind of switch the formation around a little bit, um, play almost a fourth, like a three, four, three, um, where Dixon gets to go way up the field and doesn't have to defend. But then you got to have somebody on that side of the field who is willing to come back and defend. Um, So he's one that I think is a little bit different that I think there is still a spot for him on the field in Pittsburgh that works. Um, but I don't want to see him defending all night long um, yeah. because then I, I think he does provide so much in the box. Uh, his crosses are totally different from Kenny's. Um, you know, he puts a lot of balls in the box, but they're totally different. They've got most of the time they have way more pace on them. They're He is much more willing to shoot. Um, it also feels like a lot, lot of his, a lot of his on the ground too. Like I yeah. feel like he's he's trying to zip them into the box to somebody's feet as opposed to taking out wide and then just putting it across in the air on you know hopes and prayers. Right. Right. So and that yeah. and that's good too because it's hoping for if somebody's you know if the defenders got their there is facing their own goal if they try to get a foot on it maybe that hits the back of the net rather than um, going out for a corner or whatever. So I think like yeah it's his it's a different look for the hounds. Yeah, you know, so I don't want to see Dixon leave. I don't know that he fits the formation necessarily, but I also think he adds a bunch to our team. So does Cicerone. Neither one of them that I really want to see leave. But I mean, at this point, you had sort of already mentioned Fernandez. If if we could bring in somebody like that, that you think that they could be the difference maker. Is there anybody else, or is that the one that you're like, if we sign him, I'd be really happy and and think we'd be in a good spot. I yeah I mean I'd still like to see another striker I think the reality that we saw this season is strikers go in waves you know and they mm-hmm. all of a sudden get hot and put five in the back of the net over the course of seven games and then they don't score for another five um, and so I think you've got to have two that can score and especially when you're not when when the hand goes cold you can yeah. actually keep it keep it going so I think that that would be that would be another spot I do think. This that's where I trust Bob a lot, you know. And I know that we've joked with Lily Al, blah blah blah. Um, I, that's where I trust Bob a lot because I do feel like he finds quality players that other people aren't necessarily finding, or he'll pull a guy out of college and um, put him on the field and 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 make him good um, by putting guys around him. And that's where I'm excited to continue to see the likes of Ordonez and and Veet. Um, other guys like that who have been around for a couple of years who I feel like are still developing because I think they're mm-hmm. going to be good play. They're going to continue to be better and better players um, by playing in the league. And so I would love to, you know, I trust that he will keep doing that. Um, probably the only other thing that I would like to see is a big physical midfielder. Um, I think uh, <laughs> Griffin and Mertz are both really good ball movers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when you get teams who are a little bit bigger and a little bit more physical, they can get overrun uh, in midfield pretty easily. Um, so I would like to see somebody who's going to win some of those head, like on those long goal kicks and things like that. They're going to be able to actually win the headers uh, at midfield where um, Mertz and Griffin aren't going to win many of those. I guess just two points to sort of reiterate what you said there. I think, you know, especially we 
coming into this season, when we heard that he was coming back, I think a lot of us were like, what? Why? Because we didn't think that he had the best first season. But definitely as this season progressed, you know, he turned into one of the sort of must-start players just from his versatility. And so you do have these guys that you just have to sort of give them time. The problem is, is that when you sign a lot of them to sort of, you know, one-in-one type contracts, by the time they've developed, they're not ready to move on. And, you know, now we're bringing in somebody else that's new. So it would be great to see these guys, some of these guys locked down to a bit of a longer-term deal so that we can sort of keep them around a little bit longer. And, you know, you mentioned sort of, um, you know, Mertz and Griffin being ball movers. There were some games earlier this season where Griffin was pushed a little bit higher up the field. And that was very interesting to sort of see him. He wasn't exactly that player to sort of unlock a D, but there were moments where you would see little flashes of that. So if you did get sort of a really big, you know, um, uh, you know, central defender that could sort of maybe sit behind the two of them. You know, we've talked about, we don't know what Kenny's future is going to be. Say that Kenny is out of the picture and now it's those two plus somebody else. It'd be great to have a destroyer, like a, you know, a tall Danny Earls or somebody that would just sit in front of the the two center backs or three center backs and let those two sort of go free in front of them. Um, yeah. I but think again, that's what always, yeah. I think just the like international kind of, uh, yeah. comparison i think that's what's always made barcelona so good mm-hmm. uh for the years that they're kind of peak was xavi and iniesta were always they're a little bit smaller they're not yeah. tall guys they're not guys who are going to destroy but they always had sergio Busquets sitting right beside right behind them yeah. and so they could pick and choose their moments they could go forward if they wanted to go forward they could stay back if they wanted to stay back they could find spots on the field and that that's what i i mean that's where i do feel like Mertz and griffin can also be really uh, impactful on a soccer field is they can pick and choose their moments. They can find it, but they need that guy sitting right behind them uh, to make sure that it's not going to, um, to make sure that, you know, they're not, the the defense isn't going to get overrun um, at times. So, yeah. I think that's I the one spot that if we, you know, if we got word that all of a sudden we sign some massive, you know, central midfielder, then that sort of points to unlocking those two, which I think would be very, very yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. So we'll see. I know there's a lot of teams out there that are announcing individual signings. I don't think I've seen a ton announcing like everybody that's back. It's sort of in these one off, you know, bringing in Russell Cicerone or whoever it may be. So you have players that know they're not coming back, but teams haven't officially announced yet. So hopefully we'll get some word here about who the Hounds decided to keep um, coming up soon and then, you know, who else they're considering bringing in. Although, you know, Bob is notorious for not necessarily bringing in a bunch of people right away we know he likes to have his training camps uh you know early in the year put everybody through their paces and then sort of slowly announce people who make it through the training camps even if they're sort of uh you know veterans you know there's there's only a few that get through that without having to go through that process i think ross was one of them dane kelly was one of them um but for the most part most players have to go through that that whole training camp process so we'll see if something changes there um any other thoughts on the Hounds at this point? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm excited to see kind of who that initial core of players uh, yeah. coming back is. I think that'll give a good idea. I mean, that'll give a decent idea of where Bob's going. Um, I do think Bob's also definitely willing to sign the best player on the field, no matter what position they play, yep. um, as far as those training camps go. Um, and so he'll take a flyer on a player who may not really fit his system, but he'll find a find a spot for him. I think Tommy, Tommy V was like a definite, mm-hmm. uh, kind of example of that. 
of like he didn't really fit that central defensive mid uh, like that central defender role but he made it work Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and so i think bob's good at that and so yeah i'm excited to see kind of where he's going a little better where his plans are uh kind of initially and then see kind of what develops over the season um the further and further away i get away from this past season the better and better i feel about 2023 so we'll see (laughs) yeah i think that i think that's totally fair um just a, a few more things to, to sort of touch on and then we'll get out of here. One, I did mention that Pitt made the College Cup, which is basically the equivalent of the Final Four. They beat, I thought the stat was amazing. They beat Portland one nothing after out shooting them 27 to 5. So it ended up going into extra time. They got the goal. They move on. They're going to end up playing Friday against Indiana. And if they win, then they'll head to the finals against either Syracuse or Creighton. So... Um, obviously best of luck to the pit team that program still like blows my mind i remember four or five years ago doing podcasts with john krasinski talking about like how this team was struggling and how they were going to bring in this new coach and like it just it seems like in those few years that the scenes you know from from playing um is it ambrose where they play up at pit and it's just a packed stadium with crazy fans and it's just it's insane it's amazing it's it's really really great stuff so best of luck to to the pit squad on Friday. Um, hopefully they can move on and make it to the finals. That's actually um, pretty amazing. I haven't, I haven't paid attention to that too much, but to have those four teams, I mean, I guess Creighton is California, but like, that's amazing to have those four teams in yeah. your final four, like no North Carolina, no Duke, no yeah. Florida. Like there's no Southern schools that seem to have better weather throughout, uh, throughout the soccer season. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got, Pitt, Indiana, and Syracuse. Yep. Yeah. All in the final four. That's crazy. One other thing that I just wanted to sort of throw out there, and um, I, I'm sure you have thoughts on it. There was a recent Post Gazette article where uh, they were talking about the USA versus England game that uh, the Hounds had put on the scoreboard down at Highmark. So people showed up, they watched it. In the process of doing that article, they interviewed Jeff Gardner, who we've had on the show, president of the team. And Jeff sort of heavily implied uh, that he'd like to bring a women's team to Pittsburgh. So he specifically was saying that he knows that there's a lot of growth with the women's academy. And he would like to, I think his phrase was, close the loop on that. And so um, I know the the, the WSL has been um, hyping up a lot of new teams. And there was a, a tweet they put out and I saw a bunch of teams listed. And I was sort of holding out hope that Pittsburgh would just appear there. but. Uh, yeah, just your initial impression on hearing that. What are your thoughts? <laughs> if uh, if closing the loop on an academy is not the most corporate speak, I, can <laughs> I, don't, know. <laughs> I don't know what is. Um, I mean, a couple of things there. One, uh, side note to this whole conversation, the, the amount of people that showed up at Highmark on a oh, cold yeah. Friday morning uh, to watch, you know, to watch the U.S.-England game was super impressive to me. And mm-hmm. I thought that just shows how the sport is growing and, you know, saw some steel army folks in the pictures and everything else, but just it, cool to see how the sport is growing and just how it's being received in, in Pittsburgh and, and growing in Pittsburgh. So that was, that was well, cool. And real quick too, not only just that, but I even saw against the Netherlands, um, the hotspurs, the Pittsburgh hotspurs were tweeting out pictures of like bars in new Kensington, like not even close to downtown that were packed with people watching these games together. So yeah, no, yeah. very, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. 
I mean, as far as the moon team, I, I love it. I think, um, I hope it happens. Um, I hope it happens in, um, a good way. Uh, and here's why I say that. I think I'm struggling with, um, I, I think I'm struggling seeing what happened in Chattanooga with the men's teams there. Mm. Uh, Pitts, Pittsburgh already has a pretty good women's team that has been around for a while, who has tried to continue to make it, who has con- tried to continue to grow the sport here, you know, in Pittsburgh. Um, and I've been to a couple of the Steel, uh, Steel City FC games, and they're fun. They're fun games to go to. Um, and, like, I think what would, you know, and I know they merged with the Hotspurs Academy mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, which is really cool to see that also happening. Um, but I think like, I would hate to see the river hounds bring a women's team and that detract or pull away or not help, you know, steel city, uh, as well. And so that's the one like tension I'm feeling about the whole thing. Um, but I would love to see a group in Pittsburgh kind of go all out. I do think a, a women's team would fit rather well, um, in Pittsburgh. I think it would do rather well. Um, even if you went fully to NWSL, you have, um, you know, you have the DC team, you have the New Jersey, New York team, you have, um, you know, you have teams around that, um, could form some natural rivalries and it would kind of make sense. Um, so I would love to see a women's team somehow, um, that taking nothing away from the fact that Steel City FC has been there, uh, for a long time and continues to grow and continues to kind of progress. So, Love to see them continue to grow as well, um, but don't want to take away from what's already happening. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I fully agree. Something that just crossed my mind, um, you know, we were just talking about how the Men's World Cup will be back in the U.S. in four years. The Women's World Cup is opposite, right? So the next Women's World Cup is in two years. So yes. it'd be very interesting to see if the timing of that doesn't line up with something related to the hounds trying to capitalize on the popularity of women's world cup i mean if you're going to do it like that's the time to do it um we've sort of seen the benefits of uh the sport in the u.s growing from having the world cup up here when was it 98 um Mm -hmm. and and sort of the the MLS and USL all sort of planning around these four-year cycles of the popularity of, of the World Cup. And so you try to capitalize that on that by having teams, new teams in your markets, new stadiums, so that you can sort of catch that and just keep running up. But it literally just dawned on me that with the Women's World Cup coming up in a few years, it would make sense to launch a Hounds team to try to, oh, you know, you want to go support women. Like, you got a local team right here. Let's do it. So, yeah. um, but I fully agree with you. You don't want to cannibalize what's going on with Hotspur at the moment. Um, it's a different league, um, potentially. So if they're playing in the same league, for sure. But um, at the same time, you're right. There have been plenty of soccer wars stories of two different teams in two different leagues and sort of what that means and fan bases getting upset and all of that. So, yeah, it'll be interesting, um, but exciting nonetheless. Um, we've been yeah, and I do think kind of along your along your lines there, um, you also have the Olympics next summer, which yeah. U.S. women are probably one of the heavy favorites in that tournament as well. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the the Women's World Cup the next year. And so I think you've got two chances for the U.S. women to, to lift trophies over the next two years. And they seem to also have a pretty strong young core of players that they're trying to figure out exactly how to get all the talent on the field. 
um, watching some of the U.S. women's game over the last six months or so. Um, but I think that they're in a good spot. And so I think that, yeah, I, I definitely could see a, a tie-in with that of like, hey, you know, support women. But all that, all that is said, still just go ahead and support local soccer because yeah. that's how the U.S. is going to get it done in four years too. It's, yeah. It's, by a lot of local soccer support over the next four years. It's been fun watching, I forget who the the Twitter feed is, but uh, sort of after every men's US game, they tweet out um, the players and the amount of time that they spent in the USL and then also in the MLS. So there was a number of, I mean, Tyler Adams came through the USL like he played for Red Bull for a while before he then, you know, ends up going off. And so a lot of the guys that we've seen um, even playing at Highmark Stadium ultimately can end up going on and playing for the U.S. men's national team. And so especially with the talent pool that we have here in Pittsburgh on the women's side, we could end up seeing a lot of women end up making their way through and playing for the U.S. women's team. And so just to have that pipeline because of having a USL team here, I think it's pretty exciting as well. So, yeah, for Absolutely. sure. Um, I thought we were going to talk for 15 minutes. And we're already at 40. <laughs> anything, anything else that's sort of on your mind here that you want to talk about before we, I know there's not a lot of news coming out of the hounds camp at this point. Dequa was up for a comeback player of the year, which it sounds like they have not uh, finalized that. I think he was one of five candidates, which I was like player of the year, but that or comeback player of the year. But then I, I remember he did have that injury last season um, that sort of kept him out of contention. And then he was such a prominent part of our offense this season. So, um, you know, obviously best What's... of luck to him. Kind of small side note about that too. I think it's really interesting that they that's the initial comeback player of the year. They've never given a comeback player of the year award before. Um, oh. And so I think that that's interesting because that just shows how many players are like sticking around in USL, like how yeah. prominent USL has become that it's not just a, uh, hey, come play for a year for the two team, for your LMLS team, and then go play for the MLS team. Um, there's still uh, obviously had been some of that. Uh, until next year when we finally get rid of all the two teams. Right. Um, but I think like, you know, I think it's interesting that now there are players that you see guys like, uh, you know, the Tampa, the teams that Tampa has put together over the couple of years, the teams that Louisville has put together a couple of years, but it's players that are around for three, four, five, six years um, as they're developing or as they're just, that's the level of soccer they want to play and they're doing well at it. And so they might as well keep playing. And so, um, I think it's cool that that's an award that has started to come around. That's like, oh, we can give a comeback player of the year because there are comeback players. Yeah, agreed. Um, I guess a few, just well, two minor sort of housekeeping things, and then we'll get out of here. One, uh, this Friday, Steel Army is holding their annual holiday party. So if you don't know what's going on there, you do have to RSVP. Go find them on Twitter. It's not on their site. Uh, they're at Steel Army. You should know that already. But there's more details there. I believe it's at the Frick this year. So a little bit nicer. But everyone is invited. I believe even if you're not an official member of the Steel Army, you just have to go RSVP. So head over to Twitter, at Steel Army. Um, sign up. Uh, a little teaser. Um, we are planning. We probably won't be back next weekend unless you know the team announces the, the player list. And we have something to talk about. But the following week, uh we will be doing something a little special um just a little teaser i'm not going to get into specifics as to what but uh you'll have to sort of wait and see what's coming um for those of you who remember oof, we used to do this three four years 
ago. We always had sort of a special end of year episode kind of thing. And so if you've been around with us long enough and you sort of remember those, there's a little hint there as to what might be happening, but um, still ironing out some details and uh, we'll let you know as we get closer, but stay tuned for that. Um, otherwise, yeah, Justin, appreciate you jumping on and sharing some thoughts. I felt like this was productive and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I sort of had on my mind. I was like, I just want to talk to somebody about it. So the fact that we could just like do this was great. Um, yeah, I think that's all for this one. Yeah. So thanks everybody. Weekly reminder that Black Lives Matter. We are proudly part of the Beautiful Game Network. You know all of that. Um, otherwise, we appreciate you hanging out and uh, we will talk to you all very, very soon. Later. <laughs>